The Melbourne Documentary Film Festival returns with a huge showcase of the most critically acclaimed documentaries from across the globe. Highlights include opening night film Eternal Spring, bringing to life an unprecedented story of defiance on the 20th anniversary of a TV station hijacking in China, Australia, my home, an Albanian migration, depicting the stories of three generations of Albanian migrants to Australia, and many more. July the 20th to the 31st at Cinema Nova, a 3CR supporter. The Commons Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion, and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Commons Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter. Listening to 3CR Community Radio. Come to me sweetly, this love of great vein. Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents for another Saturday morning. It is two minutes past nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm James Barry. And today we have a lot of news from around the region. That is short form for saying we don't have a feature story for the morning. But of course, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. And if you want to find us on the web, all the w's.aawl.org.au, we're on Facebook and Twitter. So look us up on those social media platforms. We're going to take it easy this morning, though we are bringing you some serious stories of struggle from across the region Um, but we might have a bit of music throughout today's show as well. Kicking us off with the news from around the region is James Barry. Starting with political news in Papua New Guinea where the election has gotten underway while the country's problems mount. Uh, Parliamentary elections for Papua New Guinea began on Monday with former Prime Minister Peter O'Neill being the main challenger to the incumbent James Marape. Due to PNG's mountainous terrain, linguistic diversity and poor infrastructure, despite its mineral wealth, the election is due to take place over 18 days, with the result expected to be announced in August. As with past elections, violence remains a key issue, and already 15 people have been killed in election-related violence. Furthermore, issues pertaining to the rights of women are front and centre in this election, since Papua New Guinea is one of only four countries worldwide who have no women in their parliament. 
In this election, while over 3,500 candidates are competing for the 118 seats of the parliament, less than 5% of these candidates are women. In a country with high rates of gendered violence, one important reform, however, has been the implementation of women-only voting booths in this election. Going to Japan, which I'm sure all of you have been seeing the headlines over the last couple of days, Shinzo Abe, the former president of Japan, is dead, having been assassinated allegedly by a man that had a long-standing grudge. The alleged gunman, a person named Tetsuya Yamagami, uh, believe, believed that Abe was part of a specified organisation in inverted commas and shot him for that reason without naming the group. I'm sure this is all going to come to light uh, in the next few days. Abe died in hospital uh, yesterday morning after being shot while speaking at a political campaign event. Tetsu, Tetsuya Yamagami has admitted shooting him with a homemade gun Um Abe, as listeners will know, was Japan's longest-serving prime minister, and during that time, he privatised Japan Post, he privatised the airport, the rail system, he introduced health reforms that made accessing health more difficult and paid doctors less. He also lied about the recovery plans for Fukushima and forced workers back into the nuclear power plant before it was safe. Shinzo Abe was a conservative. He was anti-union and anti-worker and presided over many union-busting and anti-worker campaigns. So today... Let's remember all the workers who died in Fukushima who are still suffering from the nuclear effects of the plant's destruction in, during that tsunami, the, those workers that lost their jobs and livelihoods under the privatisation project of uh, Shinzo Abe. And let's not forget that Japan has a word for death by overwork, and that is karoshi. Uh, yes, and it's another important thing to note with that story uh, for, as, it, as it's happening is there's been some racist discourse about uh, against Koreans because uh, the apparently the um, uh, the shooter was an ethnic Korean, but by ethnic Korean, ethnic Korean in Japan, they're Japanese speaking. They've been there hundreds of years, but that's been the the rhetoric that's been going around. Uh, back to the Pacific Islands now, where the Pacific Islands Forum is to be held as China tensions mount. The first Pacific Islands Forum since the pandemic is due to be held in Suva, Fiji this week, according to the tradition of Kanohi Kite Kanohi, or face-to-face meeting. While the meeting of Pacific leaders is expected to focus mainly on climate issues and rising sea levels, growing tensions between China and regional power brokers overshadow this forum. On Friday, the Prime Ministers of Australia and New Zealand issued a joint statement saying that they will raise the issue of China and regional security at the 18-member forum. Incidentally, Australia and New Zealand are the wealthiest two members of that forum. While the agenda of the event is to be managed by the host, Prime Minister Frank Bainimarama, who has in the past expressed both optimism and concern about China, New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern expressed confidence that Bainimarama will permit the discussion. Tensions over the Pacific between China and the US and its allies have risen in recent months after the signing of a security agreement between Beijing and the Solomon Islands, potentially signalling a change in geopolitical alliances in the region. Nevertheless, most Pacific leaders have so far been reluctant to be drawn into these tensions by picking a side. We're going to go to some community announcements and then more from the mini-news.
Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra Group is having its Australian Plants Expo on the 27th to 28th of August, 10am to 4pm at the Eltham Community and Reception Centre, 801 Main Road, Eltham. Huge native plant fair. Thousands of native plants, included grafted, uncommon species and indigenous plants, with books on related subjects, crow's foot pottery, gift stalls, native flower displays and activities for children. Refreshments will also be available. Wheelchair friendly, adults at $5, concessions $4 and children free. Check out our website for plant lists, apsyarayarra.org.au forward slash Australian Plants Expo. A 3CR supporter. G'day, this is Richard Franklin. When you've got voice, you've got freedom. Be a little bit free and support 3CR. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents here on Community Radio 3CR. Uh, you're in the studio with Giselle and James, and we're continuing with the mini news this morning, and now we're heading to Iran, where uh, we've been bringing you this story, and we have a slight update, which is not awesome. Uh, Iranian union leader Reza Shahabi is once again in prison, being tortured on hunger strike and being denied access to medical facilities following his involvement in May Day protests. This is a statement from the ITF. The International Transport Workers Union joins a broad range of organisations in condemning his arrest and barbarous treatment imposed on him by despotic regimes solely because he engaged in legitimate union actions. Um, Steve, Stephen Cotton, the General Secretary of the ITF, is quoted as saying, Our information is that Reza is in Evan Prison, suffering from severe back and neck pain as a result of beatings. He also has a chronic heart condition. He's currently on hunger strike in protest over Iranian authorities' refusal to give him medical help, and so we can expect his condition to get steadily worse. Despite all this, they continue to torture him. The situation is beyond outrageous. Iran is bulldozing even the most basic human rights of this man and many other people. We, as in the ITF, demand Reza's immediate transfer to hospital and a halt to his imprisonment and torture. In relation to the May Day protest for which Shahabi is being held, Shahabi is a member of the board of directors of the Syndicate of Workers of Tehran and Suburbs Bus Company. He is a bus driver. And was one of the tra- number of tra- was one of a number of trade union activists arrested following strikes and protests over low and unpaid wages on May Day 2022. Teachers and other labour and social activists have been arrested together with 11 Tehran bus workers. Hassan Saidi, a well-known member of the Tehran Bus Drivers Union, was arrested on the 17th of May. Shahabi himself was arrested on the 18th of May. The families of labour and teacher activists currently incarcerated in Evan Prison have been denied access to their loved ones. Shahabi was imprisoned by Iran in 2010 for legitimate protests and listeners will recall that AAWL supported and participated in the campaign back then to effect his release. He was released into hospital in 2014 for severe back pain, liver and kidney misfunction and heart problems, all of which related to his torture in prison. In 2017, he was re-arrested and was only released in March 2018 and, of course, re-arrested in 2022. 
Worker protests were triggered by Iran's collapsing economy, where the cost of living has risen dramatically, but pay has not kept pace. In some cases, workers have not been paid at all because of the financial situation. An authoritarian reaction to protest is not unusual in Iran, but appears to to have been escalating brutally this time around, possibly because the regime is struggling to keep the economy under control. To Myanmar now, where 5,000 villages have been displaced by the military. Nearly 5,000 people from several villages in the Tabayin Township in the Shwebo district of Myanmar's northwest Sayang region, which runs along the north, which, which runs along the border with India. The junta began actions against a collection of villages that make up the township last Saturday when they bombed a memorial event held by resistance fire, uh, fighters in Set Piarkin village with reports of 20 deaths. The junta then helicoptered in 50 soldiers to Tabayan village on Monday afternoon, causing many of the residents to flee for safety. By Tuesday, there were reports of punitive actions and fierce combat with resistance fighters in several villages, with attacks on civilians and the burning of villages taking place. Tabayin has been a stronghold of opposition to military rule for decades and was the site of a massacre by a military-sponsored mob in 2003. And now in Jordan, um, in the last week, you might have seen that there was a massive incidence of a release of noxious chlorine gas at the port of Aqaba in Jordan. Um, the ITF Seafarers Trust has made a donation of 55000 US dollars in emergency grant to enable local unions to help the families of those who died or are in a serious condition. 13 people were reported killed and hundreds injured after a tank containing the toxic gas ruptured at the port on Monday. The 25-tonne tank was being loaded by a dockside crane onto the cargo vessel and then a cable snapped, sending it crashing down and releasing clouds of the yellow gas. When inhaled, chlorine turns to hydrochloric acid, causing severe internal burns. Local hospitals have been overwhelmed as they deal with more than 250 people affected by the fumes, with at least 38 people in critical condition in Aqaba intensive care units. Of course, this is all while the country is managing a COVID pandemic. Of the 13 people who have died in the incident, nine were port workers, all union members. The other four killed are believed to be Chinese seafarers whose bodies have already been repatriated. We're going to go to a song now um, and then more news from around the region uh, after this song. And this is I've Been Moved by Kev Carmody. I've been moved by the wind upon the waters and the shadows as the leaves When that old Crow is all. 
I watch the moonlight flood across them steepy hills and valleys. I heard the sadness in a requiem. I've been moved watching something that's been suffering, be it humankind or any living thing. From the fury of the storm, that old parched ground is reborn. The desert's blooms that satisfy King. I've been moved by the tireless sea of churning, or them scarlets of an inland dusk. Oh, when it closed, friend. Died. I turned away and cried as they laid him down and shoveled in the dust. Yeah. <coughs> Thank you. Community Radio. 855. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents on Community Radio 3CR. That was I've Been Moved by Kevin Carmody. Uh, Moving on to the news. Uh, Daewoo declares a state of emergency over strike. A month-long strike at Daewoo Shipbuilding and Marine Engineering in South Korea, in which six union members have occupied the dock, has been cited by the CEO as a reason for declaring a state of emergency on Wednesday. The Korea Metalworks Union has led the strike since early June, calling for a 30% pay rise for workers. Employees of Daewoo have not seen wage rises for a decade and have instead been subject to wage cuts on top of the freeze on their earnings. Last Friday, several trade unions and human rights organisations in South Korea called upon Daewoo to negotiate. Instead, the company has opted to declare a state of emergency, citing the strike and subsequent labour shortage, alongside sanctions against their Russian customers. While the CEO denied that the state of emergency would mean longer hours and another pay cut for employees, he hasn't outlined what the process will actually involve, other than to say that, Employees are encouraged to acknowledge the situation that the company is in and work towards improvement. And we have a bit of an update on this factional warfare in Malaysia between trade unions. Um, And it's clear that the factional dispute continues uh, and we'll uh, continue to highlight it, I guess, as this story develops. But last week, Effendi Abdul Ghani was voted in as the Malaysian Trade Union Congress president for the 2022-25 term. ending a long-standing dispute over leadership of the country's umbrella body for trade unions. And we have been bringing you bits and pieces of this story. Effendi, who was formerly MTUC's deputy president, won the presidency after collecting about 288 votes to Japar Majid's 107. 
Matkar Siwang is the new deputy president, and this comes as a faction within MTUC led by Halim Mansoor, who has claimed to be the rightful president, failed to obtain an injunction to stop the conference. Halim, who was also president for the 2017-19 term, declared himself president following the party's standing orders that the immediate past president shall continue as president if there was no outright winner in the 2019 election, which he tied with Jappard. Uh, Last week, on Saturday last week, he said, that is, um, Halim said that he had been barred from contesting the, this election because his nomination paper had not been sent to the correct email address. He claimed that the election was illegal under the MTUC's constitution, which states that it must be held between October and December of the third year of the committee's triennial term. Of course, Malaysia is in similar economic turmoil as other countries in the region, so this squabbling amongst union leaders for the leadership of the MTUC seems like an entirely massive distraction from the task at hand for the labour movement in Malaysia, which seems to me to be about recovering power and strength on the ground, um, supporting migrant workers, particularly those coming from Burma, and just outright fighting against the economic crisis in that country. Uh, To Pakistan now, where 10 years after a deadly fire, there has been no improvement in safety for garment workers. A decade since 250 workers were killed in a fire at Ali Enterprises in Karachi, research has shown there has been no changes to safety protocols. The University of Cardiff study demonstrated that 85% of Pakistan's 2.2 million garment workers still work in factories that lack fire exits or have uh, escape exits that are blocked by... uh, by um, um, other material. And few workers reported any safety protocols like fire drills or safety inspections occurring in their workplace, despite these being mandated by law. In addition, other provisions, such as preventing workplace harassment, are not present in most factories, and this is an industry where the majority of workers are women. And as the General Secretary of the Home-Based Women's Workers Federation, Zahara Khan, said this week, It's clear that workers' safety is a gendered issue, with women faring consistently worse than their male counterparts in the garment industry. In the lead-up to the anniversary of the Ali Enterprises fire, several unions have called in solidarity for Pakistan to adopt the International Accord for Health and Safety in the Textile and Garment Industry. And in India, a women's rights activist and trade unionist, Rukmini Puttaswamy, received the 17th Solidarity Award from an from a, organi- a German um, solidarity organisation in Bremen. Um, she talked about um, some of the challenges that female textile workers are still facing today in India. Puddhaswami herself was a garment worker for 17 years and she said that the challenges are many, among them low wages, unions not being allowed inside factories and sexual and verbal harassment. She said that threats um, are especially common and when asked who was behind them, Puddhaswami said production managers, supervisors, or even higher up. They tell workers in a colloquial way, um, saying, for example, there is someone who is trying to feed you and you're trying to harm them, depicting factories as benefactors. 
Um, Puddhaswamy was also asked about brands and what international buyers could do to alleviate those challenges. But Puddhaswamy said in a very sobering way, brands are the main problem in the end. As much as they speak out about sustainability and transparency in, the lo- in their long reports, in the end, it is all only on paper and nothing really happens in reality, especially at the grassroots level. We would see that things have improved if we saw positive change and improvement, but nothing has changed. There is no freedom of association, no trade unions within the factories, workers aren't allowed to speak, there aren't any grievance redressal mechanisms, brands don't speak to the workers, they don't speak to the trade unions, they don't push for freedom of association within the factories. Of course they don't because they're only interested in their profits, but Puddhaswamy is the leader of the only women's-led trade union in um, India in the garment industry. So congratulations to that trade unionist and activist on receiving that award in recognition of the work being done in the garment industry. 24 minutes past nine o'clock, some uh, community announcements and then our final segment of news. If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111 500. That's 1300 111 500. Wellways supports 3CR. Hi, we are Oi Gripnoi from Catania, Sicily. Support 3CR Community Radio 855 AM streaming live at 3cr.org.au. We are happy to discover this radio because in Sicily this radio does not exist. You're listening to Community Radio 3CR, 26 minutes past nine o'clock. This is Asia Pacific Currents. In Palestine now, where there are calls for an independent analysis into the killing of Palestinian journalist Shirin Abu Akhla. Several trade unions across the Middle East, alongside legal experts in the UK, have called for an independent forensic ballistic analysis of the bullet that killed Palestinian journalist Shirin Abu Akhla. The International Federation of Journalists, alongside several other trade unions, have issued a new complaint to the International Criminal Court following the original complaint in the days following her killing, calling for an independent investigation. Earlier this week, an investigation by the US State Department ruled that while the bullet most likely came from an Israeli sniper, that her death was the result of, quote-unquote, tragic circumstances. And this has led to the accusation from Palestinians and others that the United States was simply trying to bury the truth of her killing. And our last story for the morning, uh, also not a very positive one, apologies to leave you like this, um, is that a mass grave has been revealed under an Israeli tourist attraction. 
On Friday, a former military commander in the kibbutz of Nachshon <clears throat> revealed the existence of a mass grave of Egyptian soldiers killed in the days leading up to the 1967 war. The Egyptians <clears throat> were part of a commando force that had entered the Latrun area, then no man's land from the West Bank, then under Jordanian control, with the objective of seizing the Lod military airport. The Egyptians encountered local forces at Kibbutz Nachshon and a division of the IDF who fired mortar as the commando sheltered in the bushland, causing a massive fire that killed many of the Egyptians. At at least 20 Egyptians were then buried in a mass grave by a bulldozer, which was covered up and left unmarked in defiance of international law. The Latrun mass grave um, has been omitted from official military documents until the present time and the event covered up by Israeli authorities. It is. That does bring us to the end of the show. It's 28 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. I'm going to go out with a final announcement about the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival. But James, you have an interest in this. Yes, I'm in one of the documentaries that is mentioned in the advertisement, uh, Australia My Home and Albanian Migration. Uh, so please come along. It's on July 22. There are tickets available for the second screening at 8.30. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd be grateful if you're able to come along. And you'll see us there because we'll be going along to watch that film as well. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for your ongoing support of Asia Pacific Currents. Um, The show coming up next is Palestine Remembered. Stay tuned to 3CR for the rest of the weekend and we'll see you next week.